to you this morning. You were, you, in the past, you are in the present, and you are in charge of what's to come. And Father, we're, we're facing just crazy times in our nation, in the world, and uh, I just pray, God, that we won't be looking at all the circumstances. Staying informed is awesome, but I pray, God, that our eyes would be on you, the living God, the God who's in charge, same yesterday, today, and forever. And you know exactly where we are, where we're headed, and you are in control, no matter how crazy it looks out there. And I pray that our confidence would be in you and that you would give us peace, you would give us joy in the middle of this season. And Father, that that confidence would rest in our focus on you, the living God. And I thank you that we, Lord, can come together freely with no restrictions to come together and and to praise and worship you. We know that you inhabit the praises of your people and something powerful happens when we come together and all together focus and praise and worship you, the living God, and hear from your living word. And I thank you that we have that freedom here, here in Wisconsin, here in Eau Claire, and here at Eau Claire Wesleyan Church. And I just pray, God, for those that are, that are in their cars listening via FM broadcast, those that are listening via CD at home or listening the online recording, whatever position, those here, Lord, in front of our, uh, our face, Lord, we join together to worship you, the living God. We know that you're not restricted by space or time. So we together, beyond space and time, worship and praise you. And we ask that you take this living word and move and change our hearts today. May we be different when we leave today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Just want to, want to follow up on that. Encourage you to, um, to not focus on the negative, okay? Focus on the positive and believe God. Roger's back. Roger, good to see you, Roger. He, he, was, he was very seriously ill two weeks ago. Praise God. They told me you might be here today, so I said, he's a tough guy. <laughs> good to see you. God is good in raising up and healing, doing miraculous things. So, Well, there are only about 11 shopping days till Christmas. I know you really wanted to hear that, especially in church today. But Christmas is coming, if you haven't noticed. So what? what? What does Christmas mean? What is Christmas all about? We know it's not about Santa Claus and shopping malls and Christmas trees and decorations. It's not just about a day off from work or the week between Christmas and New Year's. It's not about snow and holly and mistletoe. It's not even about just Hallmark Christmas movies. Just saying. It's not just eggnog lattes and turkey dinners. Christmas is more than family get-togethers and singing carols, attending special concerts, and exchanging gifts. And it's a lot more than the last-minute rush, rush, rush. Most of us believe that Christmas is the celebration of an historical event. Historical event. Joseph and Mary, the birth of Jesus in a stable and, and placed in a manger. Angels singing to shepherds. Christmas is about the adoration of Jesus by the shepherds. And two years later, the worship and gifts given Jesus by the wise men. It's about people spreading the good news that a 
a savior had come to Israel. The Messiah was born. There are a lot of parallels to what it was like with the darkness. Um, I was reminded by someone this week that Mary and Joseph went forced by the government to have a census taken. So it was this government control thing. You had to go and have your census taken so you could pay taxes, okay? The government has done all kinds of overreach today all over America, and there's some kind of darkness and uncertainty and all kinds of things. A lot of parallels between the darkness and uncertainty back then and what we're experiencing today. But in the middle of that, there was an extraordinary event. But there were some important events leading up to that night event. And when we understand the context, we discover a deeper understanding of what Christmas is really about. We find out what it's really about. Last Sunday, we looked at nothing is impossible. We looked at Mary's receiving the news that God is going to take this ordinary person and do something impossible. The fact that nothing is impossible. Well, after that point, Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, and she's she sings a song. It's actually, uh, it's one of, one of four songs that we find in this, er- this area. And I want us today to look at what is Christmas about. It's Mary's song, and it's Luke 1, 46 to 50, 56. Luke 1, 46 to 56. Pastor Josh read it as part of our text for the candlelighting today. Luke 1, starting in the... Verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Mary had just been informed about the fact that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah, the Son of God. Not an ex- exactly an everyday occurrence, especially since she experienced what, what we know of as the Immaculate Conception, conceived by the Holy Spirit. But who can she tell? She gets this news, who can she tell? Her parents would be upset. Joseph was going to be devastated, and was. She couldn't go on Facebook and post the happy announcement. Not to happen. But Mary had a friend, a confidant named Elizabeth, And Mary's words to Elizabeth were a prophecy about her child. And her words would have eventually become a song called the Magnificat. Some of you have heard that, the Magnificat. Almost the entire song is made up of quotations from the Old Testament. And in light of Christmas, the coming of the Messiah, we see a deeper meaning in these words of prophecy. It's like she says, this is what these words mean. And they really help us understand 
what Christmas is about. This is before the event. We have before the event, we have the event, and after the event. And this song, this Magnificat, these words of Mary were before the event of Jesus' coming. And they help us give context to what Christmas is about. So let's look at that. There are, there are primarily four concepts that I want to look at today. The first thing that Christmas is about is, number one, about being thankful. About being thankful. Thanksgiving pours out of Mary's mouth and soul. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is thankfulness for what God has done for her past tense. But she's also thankful ahead of time for the unknown. She's thankful for the future, which she doesn't know. Is being, is, is being thankful part of Christmas? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I believe it's very appropriate that our national holiday of Thanksgiving precedes and is very close to Christmas, perhaps to prepare our hearts for Christmas itself and an appropriate response to God. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is an attitude. It's a lifestyle. It's, a, it's an approach to life. It's an approach to God. A lifestyle of thankfulness and a lifestyle of gratitude. Some of us have people in our life that exemplify thankfulness. And we, you know them, and you say, man, that person is always thankful. I don't know why they do it. They're always grateful. One person in my life in the past was the epitome of thankfulness. It was an elderly woman named Gertie. Her name was Gertie. Gertie was my grandmother's cousin, and she was much like a great aunt to us. Gertie lived in a Christian community in Minneapolis, some of you may know of it, called Bethany Christian Fellowship. She had never been married. She had no children. But earlier in her younger years, she and her sister had taken in literally dozens of orphaned children to take care of until they could be adopted. She wrote special poems about each child. She was a a poet. Every child that she cared for, and she would bring this notebook. I think she had two or three notebooks of poems, and she would read poems to us about these orphan children. It was remarkable. And Gurney now, at this point in time, lived alone. All of her possessions could fit in one room, literally. And some might say, as they looked at Gurney's life, that, that life just passed Gertie by. While we were living in southern Minnesota, and since our grandparents lived in Washington State, Gertie became our surrogate grandmother for Thanksgiving and Christmas. She always came every Thanksgiving and every Christmas. And one of the most amazing things that I remember about Gertie was her thankfulness, her, her gratitude for everything, everything. She had practically nothing, but she was grateful for every bit of it. Gertie always stood in stark contrast of thankfulness in the commercial selfishness of the Christmas season. I remember thinking about what gifts I'm going to get, this and that, and then I, I'm looking at Gertie and I'm thinking, Wow, she is thankful for everything. What am I thankful for? Maybe you had somebody like Gertie in your life. What is Christmas about? Christmas is about being thankful, thanksgiving, being thankful to God for who he is and what he has done. And connected to thankfulness, flowing from thankfulness, are really three things. There are three results of thankfulness, at least three, probably more, but at least three. And, and Mary expresses these. She talks about thankfulness, first of all, with joy. She says, my spirit rejoices in God. Out of thankfulness springs joy. 
you ask, why is there so little joy in our world? Why is there so little joy? Because there's so little thankfulness. So little thankfulness. We think we're owed everything, or we take everything for granted. I'm owed a living, I'm owed a job, I'm owed happiness. And we wonder why we're just kind of miserable. I used to bike for exercise. I could do it year-round in Washington, not so much in Wisconsin. But I used to go biking, and one, one day, it was near Christmas, I was trying to get across the Alderwood Mall Parkway to get, there were some great biking paths on the other side of this parkway. And the, the, the mall traffic was just crazy, and people were honking. They, were, they weren't letting people in. It was just, everybody was irritable and angry and joyless. And I, and I looked, at, looked around, and I thought, where's the joy in Christmas? It's like, it was nowhere. And that was the, the, the concept, joy. Yeah, sometimes you ask, where's the joy? Where's the joy? One spring, Judy and I had the opportunity to attend a high school graduation of one of Seattle's alternate schools, high schools. These were students who, who had to overcome great obstacles and adversity just to get a high school diploma. Most of us just take it for granted. Oh, everybody gets high school graduation, right? They did not. High school graduation. These families took nothing for granted. And, and talk about Thanksgiving. Talk about joy and exuberance. That, that high school graduation ceremony, which there were about 25 students that graduated, was the wildest most thankful, noisiest, and more, most joy-filled graduation ceremony I've ever been to. Why? Because they had joy, because they were thankful. And the question is, how are you today thankful? Are you thankful? Also connected with thanksgiving is humility, with humility. Humility and thankfulness go hand in hand. Thankfulness acknowledges that my blessings come from outside of myself, that my dependence is on someone else. For Mary, she was humbled, therefore thankful that God had favored her, even though she was just an ordinary teenager, the fiancé of a carpenter. And she recognized that her specialness did not come from her. Her abilities, economic status, physical beauty, ability to earn favor. She understood that her specialness came from God. She was made special by God. In the same way, our specialness your specialness and your value doesn't come from what you can do. God has placed value on each one of us. We talked about that last week about how God takes the ordinary and does extraordinary things. Our specialness comes because God has placed value. Now, we should not deny our unique gifts or strengths or abilities, but acknowledge them as gifts from God. Sometimes we say, well, no, I'm not, I'm not really good at that, or I, I really don't have that, whatever. That's kind of a false humility. God calls on us to acknowledge what gifts we've been given. Humility is seeing the truth about what God has given us. In Romans 12, there's an interesting couple of verses. It says, for by grace given to, to me to say to everyone, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, people say, oh, that must mean we've got to be humble. Well, but then he goes on. He said, he said, but rather think of yourself as sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. In other words, he's given you gifts to exercise by faith. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. There's a sense of humility that we, we understand that we're a part of this body, this fellowship, this body of Christ. And out of that 
comes an acknowledgement of the gifts God has given us. Not diminishing them, but elevating them and elevating others. Humility. Humility is not denying our worth, value, or giftings or abilities. Humility is honestly assessing who we are and what we can do and acknowledging that God gave them to us. Humility. The third concept that is connected to thankfulness in Mary's words is letter C with blessing said from now on all generations will call me blessed the message says I am the most fortunate woman on earth now it was not going to be easy for Mary to go through pregnancy out of wedlock she was going to give birth in a cave and I I'm sure her plan for her life would have been far different. Nice wedding, two kids, a couple goats, and two donkeys in the barn. You know, that's, that was what they would want. Mary's blessing was God's special design for her to be the mother of God's only son. And she was thankful for God's plan, blessing. Now, if we could choose to write our story, I don't know if you've done this, the what if thing, if only this or that. If we could choose to write our own story, it might be different. But God's the author, not you. God is the one who writes our story. God has a special plan for you. And you know what? It's not, it's not always easy. Thankfulness says, I see God's hand in my life and circumstances. God has a plan, and I will trust God and thank him for all his blessings. Everything he's given me. Philippians 4, 4 and 6 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the verse after that says, And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you're living in turmoil today, it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request before God. What is Christmas all about? Being thankful. Being thankful. And I, I hope that this can be a reminder as Mary has given us this example of thankfulness. Next, Christmas is about praising God. Number two, praising God. Mary praises God. She begins to extol the person of God. Is Christmas about praise? Yeah, it's about praise. One of the things that people don't understand is the power that's released in praise. They say, oh, you can, you can worship at home, you can stay home, and you can do this and that and the other thing. There's something powerful that happens when the people of God come together. That's why he said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There are elements of our government that are trying to separate and, and destroy the church of Jesus Christ. That's not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen. But coming together and praising God, that's, that's part of of our faith. Is Christmas about praise? Yeah, it was through this coming historical event, God becoming one of us, that we can learn to know God so we can praise him. We, we so often take for granted the fact that we can know God. We can know God. We, we hear it from the time we're young or we come into relationship or maybe you're just beginning to know God and beginning to discover because you're at that part in your journey. That's awesome. Joan Osborne wrote a song. It was played on top 40 radio stations all over the country. The name of the song was, What If God Were One of Us? What if God were one of us? The song elicited such responses. People 
listening to it on the radio, were pulling off the road, stopping their cars, and weeping at the concept that what if God were one of us? See, there's such a deep longing for a God who knows and understands, a God who cares, a God who's personal with us. The heart cry of all of us is to know God that he, and that he cares, that he became one of us. See, John 1.14 says, the word of God, God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So the message says, we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and not true from start to finish. A God that we can know. I can praise a God like that, someone who I can know personally. Now, the people of Israel had known God through what he had done. They studied the, the Torah, and they studied the books, and they studied the history of Israel, and they knew all about God through what he had done. And, and we, we can know God through what he's done. You look at creation, it's, it's amazing what he's done. But moving beyond all of that, now men and women, boys and girls, children, can know God personally through Jesus. And you say, well, that's what God is like. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We can praise a God that we know. What do we praise God for? What do we praise God? First, for his power. Mary talks about his power. says, he has performed mighty deeds. I don't, I don't know if you've ever felt powerless. Life seems out of control. That's kind of where we are today in, in many ways. Many people feel that life is out of control. You can't control circumstances or job or, or the future. Maybe you're having trouble controlling kids, whether they're teenagers or two-year-olds. There's a, there's a comedian that wrote, wrote something about parenting. He said this, whenever your kids are out of control, you can take comfort from the thought that even God's omnipotence did not extend to his kids. After creating heaven and earth, God created Adam and Eve, and the first thing he said to them was, don't. Don't what, Adam replied. Don't eat the forbidden fruit. Forbidden fruit, really, where is it? It's over there, God said, wondering why he hadn't stopped with making elephants. A few minutes later, God saw the kids having an apple break, and he was angry. Didn't I tell you not to eat that fruit, the first parent asked. Uh-huh, Adam replied. Then why did you? I don't know, Adam answered. And God's punishment was that Adam and Eve should have children of their own. <laughs> Thus the pattern was set and has never changed, but there's reassurance in that story. If you have persistently tried to give your children wisdom, they haven't taken it, don't be hard on yourself. If God had trouble handling children. What makes you think it would be a piece of cake for you? Okay, those are encouraging words for parents today. Powerless. But no matter what we face in our life, whether it's parenting or whether it's finances or health, powerless. And Christmas is all about power, God's power. God's power exercised on our behalf. We are all broken people in a broken world, and we need power to cope, power to change, power to love, power to wait. And God's transformative person takes up residence in us and changes our nature and works supernaturally in us and through us. That's what Christmas is about. Mary also praised 
God for his holiness. When he says, says holy is his name. Now, when I say the word holy or holiness, we get all kinds of pictures. And I, I just want to unpack that a little bit. There was a story in Christianity Today by John Kessler about a young boy, John, who grew up essentially unchurched. He, had never, didn't, he didn't know what church was all about. And on the street in which he grew up, there were two churches, a Catholic church and a Baptist church. The Catholic church had rules that if you weren't part of their faith, you were not allowed past the vestibule into the holy places of the church. The Baptist church had no rules. You could go anywhere regardless of who you were. And so John grew up thinking one was holy and one was not. But he later realized that the holiness of God was not about places on earth, sacred altars, and sanctuary. Holiness was about a relationship with a person, person of God. Even though God is perfect, we're not. He's way up there separate from us. He's divine, we're human. In the Old Testament, there was a separation, but when Jesus came, he came to change our hearts, pay for our sins, and to make us holy so that we could then relate personally to this God of perfection and holiness. Holiness is about moral excellence and moral perfection, but it's more than just external acts, it's internal attitudes. Holiness is an expression of God's character through our thoughts, words, and deeds. And he said, be holy, for I am holy. And he makes us holy. And when we praise God for his holiness, we begin to understand how incredible it is that he has chosen to relate to us, to love us, to imprint his character of holiness in us as we're changed by his indwelling person, the person of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for his holiness. Mary praised God, understanding his holiness. Mary also praised God, let her see, for his mercy. Says his mercy extends to those who fear him. Verse 50. Grace is receiving what I don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what I do deserve. Let me say that again. Grace is receiving what I don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what I do deserve. Give me an example. You, you pay your employee a nice big Christmas bonus. They didn't earn it. It was a free gift. You just gave it to them. That's grace. Grace. You're getting something you didn't deserve. Mercy, which she's talking about, is different. Mercy is, you messed up in your job. You deserve to get fired. He, you didn't get fired. That's mercy. You deserve something, but you didn't get it. Grace is getting something you didn't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what you did deserve. What do we deserve from God? Why is, why is Mary including mercy in this whole thing? What do we deserve from God? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. What does God give us? God gives us mercy, gives us mercy. This is all, all part of the Christmas story. He sent Jesus to die for our sins, so we don't have to die for them. But then by grace, he gives us eternal life. Praise him. It's a pretty good deal. Pretty good deal. Praise him for his mercy. Mary did. We can too. Christmas is about being thankful. Christmas is about praising God. Christmas is also, number three, it's about life change. Life change. When we think about life change, we think about the word revolution. And revolution... A revolution can be peaceful, a revolution can be violent. And we've seen that throughout history, the history of, of our world. 
The word tenses used by Mary imply that these changes are going to happen in the future. Revolution happened in the past, but her whole treatise is about future. It's prophetic. It's something in the future. Christmas means revolution or life change. And she talks, there, there are three phrases that she talks about, about these revolutions. The first, three revolutions of God. The first one is a, is a moral revolution, moral revolution. Verse 51, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost hearts. When humans are prideful and independent, they set up their own system of morality. What, what results when we set up our own system of morality? Immorality. It happens. The proud exalt themselves and they take no account of God. The results are a godless culture, a secular culture that has, more, no, has no moral compass. And now we see that. Truth, right and wrong, become my opinion, my truth, my right and wrong. People who believe in God are viewed with contempt or as ignorant fools. We've seen that, the revolution, uh, needing a moral revolution. What do we see in our country today? Europe has followed this path and is largely secular today. America, on a similar path, trying to remove God from the public sphere. There is a battle like we've never seen before. Now, if all of these things were happening and there were no Christians rising up pro-life and pro-whatever uh, that, you know, morality, if, that was, if, if, nobody, if, if there was passivity, I'd say, we're done as a nation. But the encouragement is there is a lot, a lot of opposition to immorality and secularism. Probably maybe half, half of America. Jesus brought a moral revolution. And make no mistake, in our world of greed, immorality, easy divorce, addiction, sexual perversion, same-sex marriage, gender fluidity, Christmas, the coming of Jesus, is about a moral revolution. Life change, transformation. The second revolution is a social revolution. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. God in human form entered the human race as a baby, born in a cave. Parents were a carpenter and a homemaker, lived in Nazareth, a backwater town like Oliva. And Jesus served and lived and died. I mean, it was. It was just kind of this backwater. I, I didn't mean anything bad if you're from Oliva. I just saying. Judy's grandpa was born in Levi. Did you know that? You didn't know that. It was a few years ago. Yeah. Jesus served, lived, and died. He totally reversed the reality of greatness by serving. History is filled with people of faith who, through humility, sacrifice, service, even martyrdom, brought social revolution. And where the Christmas story, the person of Jesus has come, social revolution has followed. What, what have all the moral movements and social revolutions been preceded by? People coming to faith in Jesus Christ, revival. The story and person of Jesus produced the end of slavery in America, civil rights, social revolutions in Eastern Europe, Poland, Romania, the Philippines, Wales during the Welsh revival, freedom, the end of apartheid in South Africa. Christmas is about social revolution. Those that embrace Jesus... And Mary predicted this, that this is going to happen in the future. We've seen it, and we will see it again. The third revolution is economic revolution. It says, he has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. 
Christian values say gain whatever you can so that you can give it away. So that you can give it away. In the ancient world, it was accepted that the rich should be well cared for and the poor must expect to be hungry and in need. And Mary sings of a God that's not bound by what our culture says. God just turns everything upside down. Life change. Moral revolution, social revolution, economic revolution. And finally, what is Christmas about? Christmas is about, number four, about God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. Verse 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. God is engaged in making promises and in fulfilling promises. Everything Mary has sung about is the outcome of the fact that God is true to his promises. Faithful, God always comes through. Faithfulness. This Christmas may not be a time of great joy for you right now. You may be facing next year with fear and dread. We don't know what's going to happen in certain sectors of our culture and society. And for some, Christmas comes as a pile-on of just more financial stress, more relationship issues, memories that are not positive of Christmas times past. Maybe you can't imagine how Christmas can make a positive difference in your life. Well, Christmas can't, but Jesus can. Christmas can't, but Jesus can, because he is faithful. What is Christmas about? It's about being thankful. It's about praising God. It's about life change. It's about God's faithfulness. John 1, 10 to 12 says, he was in the world and Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Still don't recognize him, many people. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what Christmas is about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Christmas is about Jesus Christ and the transforming life power that he brings. And we just pray, God, that you would help us to understand your faithfulness and that, that you are in control, you, no matter what we see around us, that you are in control. And no matter what we see in front of us, you will make the way. We know, God, that you are in control. And I pray that, God, you'll bring us peace you give us confidence, you give us joy, that we would live this Christmas in the most joy that we've ever experienced because we know you are in control. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, shall we?